Life presents various issues with a multitude of solutions. Having issues is easy. Getting to the solutions is hard. If you're up for a good challenge, stay tuned and welcome to Qualified Issues. Carissa Galloway. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas, and this is episode three of season two. This is, we're going to talk about the role of personality um, in perspective. Now, personality is a really big topic, so I'm going to break this up into two parts. So this first part one podcast is going to be mostly about personality types, what is personality? What can that kind of look like for you and other people? So let's start off with the definition of personality. I have two different definitions. They're both from miriam-webster.com. The first one is, quote, the totality of an individual's behavioral and emotional characteristics, end quote. If you listen to the last podcast, you'll know that I, I used that definition also. So if we're using that definition to talk about personality, um, this example is going to show you kind of how we, how we see it. Um, Billy is soft-spoken, always smiling, and prefers quiet activities with a few friends. Fred is talkative, high energy, thoughtful, and enjoys socializing in large groups. So from that example, you can see how when we define personality um, for individuals, it's kind of like adjectives. So... Uh, the second definition is, quote, the complex of characteristics that distinguishes an individual or a nation or group, end quote. So an example of how to use that would be, the United States of America is a republic comprised of individuals from all backgrounds and ethnicities who exude various values. Another country may not be a republic, may have a majority of individuals from one very similar background and may ha have many values in common. So these examples show how we recognize individuals, groups, nations, etc., by means of personality. Now, caution should be taken, though, to not assume that, for example, because someone is talkative and high energy, it must mean they have ADHD. And we should not assume that because someone is from a certain country that they therefore embody all the political, social, and spiritual beliefs used to identify that country. That would be what we call generalizing. And that's something to be aware of, whether you're doing it or someone else is doing it, because it comes down to assuming instead of knowing. And we'll touch on that in a little bit. It is always important to take the time to get to know the individual, though. Think about the overall culture of the United States. Would you say each state has the same culture? No. Within each state, there are also various cultures um, within counties, within neighborhoods, within communities, organizations, and you can dwindle it all the way down to households and individuals. And that's why it's important to get to know the individual. Because if they say, well, I'm from this community, we might use what we know about that community in general. There's that generalization reference there to say, oh, well, this individual must be like this. And we don't want to do that. We want to get to know the individual. Um, so this line of thinking is very important because when it comes to perspective, 
If we stick to only what we generally know and not what an individual can teach us about the specifics about themselves or their part of the country, then we're using stereotypes instead of true firsthand knowledge. That true firsthand knowledge we glean from an individual will shape our perspective of that individual or place in a much more accurate way because now we've gathered facts. Remember, the definition of perspective we're working towards is, quote, the ability to consider things in relation to one another accurately and fairly, unquote. Another important term to consider when thinking about your own perspective is assumption. Uh, The definition, again, from miriam-webster.com is, and there's three different ones here, a fact or statement taken for granted, and then they include arrogance and pretension. Now, these definitions are a little harsh, but it doesn't change the fact that assumptions are not always a good thing when not backed up by facts. So when thinking about our perspective about someone or a group, we probably should ask ourselves a few questions. How well do we know that person or group? What do we really know about their life, their situation, their thoughts, feelings, beliefs? Avoiding assumptions requires relationship. It doesn't need to be a super close relationship, but communication is required in order to learn. And the communication required is with that individual or group that we want to learn more about so we avoid assuming things about them. We don't want to fall into stereotypes. So this has been a very brief and general look at how our perspectives about other people's or group's personalities can either skew or enhance our perspectives. Now, let's look at our own personality um, and see how that can affect our perspective. And again, this episode, we are just looking at personality types. The next episode, we'll be going more into how those personality types can affect our perspectives. Now, depending on where you get your information, there are four to 16 or more personality types. Personally, I'm of the mind that there are as many personality types as there are people in the world, as each of us are unique individuals. So think about the last podcast where we talked about Bonfren Brenner's bioecological model. The model shows us just how unique each of us are. Now, consider the thoughts and emotions and beliefs that go into that uniqueness and put that into the sunglasses idea of perspective you get a vague idea, very vague idea of how each perspective is completely unique, especially considering the numerous issues in the entire world one could consider. Politics, issues each country has, violence, abuse, neglect, financial management, ways to organize a space, parenting, and so much more. Now, I'm sure we've all heard about the personality type tests. The three most popular ones are the Myers-Briggs, also known as the MBTI, the Enneagram, and the Big Five. Some personality tests are very generalized, um, very vague would be a better word for that, while others are much more in-depth. But be aware that none of these test results completely encompass your specific personality, but they can provide some insight into various aspects of your personality. Um, For example, As a therapist, I may ask a client to take a personality test. However, I'm not using those results to concretely decide who this person is. Instead, I'm using it to understand some general traits and characteristics, maybe even some cognitive paths the client has that may be related to behavioral decision-making. So the most popular personality test um, that we learned about in grad school 
was the Myers-Briggs personality test, again, also called the MBTI. So let's go first to what it measures. So on the website, themyersbriggs.com, they describe four areas of personality that the test identifies. And these are number one, how you direct and receive energy. Number two, how do you take in information? Number three, how do you decide and come to conclusions? And number four, how do you approach the outside world? Those are all quoted, by the way. Um, the MyersBriggs.com website also describes four pairs of traits. And um, unless otherwise stated, all the definitions come from Miriam-Webster.com. So the first pair is extroversion and introversion. So extroversion is, quote, the state of or tendency towards being predominantly concerned with and obtaining a gra uh, gratification from what is outside the self, unquote. It also says, quote, a personality trait or style characterized by a preference for or orientation to engaging socially with others, end quote. And then there's introversion. This is part of the first pair. The definition there, there's two. Um, quote, the state of or tendency toward being predominantly concerned with and obtaining gratification from one's own mental life, unquote. And the second one is, quote, a personality trait or style characterized by a preference for or orientation to one's own thoughts and feelings, unquote. So that's the first pair. The second pair is sensing and intuition. Now, the rest of these come from the website, themyersbriggs.com. So sensing is called, quote, prefers real information coming from the five senses, focuses on what is real, end quote. Intuition is, quote, prefers information coming from associations, focuses on possibilities and what might be, end quote. So that's the third pair, uh, the second pair. The third pair is thinking and feeling. So with thinking, it says, quote, steps out of situations to analyze them dispassionately, prefers to make decisions on the basis of objective logic, end quote. And then feeling says, quote, steps into situations to weigh human values and motives, prefers to make decisions on the basis of values, end quote. The fourth pair is judging and perceiving. Judging is, quote, prefers to live life in a planned and organized manner, enjoys coming to closure and making a decision, end quote. Perceiving, it says, quote, prefers to live life in a spontaneous and adaptable way, enjoys keeping options open, end quote. So these measurements create 16 personality types that someone can be. However, if you consider that some people can be both extroverted and introverted, maybe judging in one area of life, like work, and perceiving in another area of life, um, like being out with friends, the box of 16 personalities begins to grow even larger. Okay, so that's the Myers-Briggs. That's a very, very brief description of the Myers-Briggs. Um, the second one is the Enneagram. And a lot of this information comes from uh, enneagraminstitute.com and bestenneagramtest.com. So what does it measure? It measures personality traits and characteristics, as well as what they call, quote, levels of development, end quote. This is provided as a continuum with the following levels. So we're talking about levels of development. Um, so there's nine levels, liberation, psychological capacity, social value, 
Level four is imbalance um, or social role. Number five is interpersonal control. And then we have overcompensation, violation, obsession and compulsion, and pathological destructiveness. Now, they have categorized these into three levels. So the first three levels, liberation, psychological value, um, or psychological capacity, I should say, and social value, are all considered healthy. The second three, average, and the final three, unhealthy. And that comes from uh, enneagraminstitute.com. There's no data or author listed. And the title is The Levels of Development. So there's also possible outcomes here, just like there was with the MBTI. And there are nine, yes, nine um, possible outcomes. There's the reformer. So if you take this test, you could be the reformer. They describe this person as principled, purposeful, self-controlled, a perfectionist. There's the helper, who they say is generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, possessive. The achiever, who is adaptable, excelling, driven, image-conscious. The artist, who is expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, temperamental. The thinker, who is perceptive, innovative, secretive, isolated. The loyalist, who is engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. The enthusiast, who is spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and scattered. The challenger, who is self-confident, decisive, willful, confrontational. And the mediator receptive, reassuring, complacent, resigned. So as you see, they have both positive and um, some negative traits in there. Now, one of the issues that that I have is that, now, let me explain this first. There is definitely some complexity involved in understanding these outcomes. Um, again, they provide good insight into your personality. But by the complexity, what I mean is that they will, um, maybe your uh the majority of your outcome says that you're a challenger, but maybe uh, it's related to also um, being artistic or being a helper. And so that's kind of the the issue I take with the Enneagram is, you know, because you can be a generous person. Um, you might be a little possessive, but maybe you're also receptive and reassuring at the same time. So that's why I say, again, do not use um, personality type tests to determine who you are as a person. All right, the very last personality test is called the Big Five. And this information comes from psychcentral.com. Uh, it's titled the Big Five Personality Test. This is from June 2022 by Dr. Jacqueline Johnson, and it was medically reviewed by Dr. Karen Gepp. So what does it measure? It measures the ocean. Just kidding. Ocean is an acronym. It stands for openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So openness is related to change. Uh, the website says, quote, intellectually curious, interested in learning and trying new things, excited by a challenge, and creative. Um, conscientiousness relates to focus. The website says, quote, be goal-oriented, have high impulse control, show attention to, de to detail, be organized, have a strong work ethic, be emotionally stable, end quote. Extroversion, that relates to energy supply. And they say, quote, receive their energy from being around people, feel comfortable speaking to new people and making new friends, enjoy larger groups and events, like sharing their opinions and thoughts, end quote. A 
agreeableness definitely relates to trust and ego. Um, it says, quote, prioritize social harmony, treat others kindly, act altruistically, behave compassionately, tend to be conflict averse, end quote. And neuroticism, which relates to emotional regulation, emotional management, it's described as, quote, being easily stressed out, being prone to mood swings, feeling more insecure, worrying and feeling anxious, end quote. Now, this one I, I kind of prefer. It does not put you in a box of 16 possible personalities. It really is pretty wide open so that you can kind of see where you fall on each of those scales. Now, does that encompass all who you are? No, of course not. Um, but it definitely can give you some ideas, just like I said before, about who you, uh, what, what your traits look like. Now, the same article talks about, when I talk about possible outcomes, um, the article points out that this personality test is, quote, a tool that can be better, un that can help you better understand your thought patterns and behaviors, end quote. Any personality test should not be used to determine who you or anyone else is. The article also states, quote, scores aren't designed to place you into neatly defined categories, end quote. So again, I know I sound like a broken record here, but results from any personality test should never be taken as a diagnosis of a mental health disorder or illness. I strongly encourage and recommend individuals do not use anything outside of a mental health professional to attain a mental health diagnosis. Um, again, outcomes are very generalized and thus they're not applicable to provide a diagnosis or label for yourself or someone else. So we're going to move on to personality disorders. Um, bear with me. This is a long definition. This comes from Merriam-Webster.com. Um, personality disorders are defined as, quote, any of various psychological disorders that are characterized by persistent inflexible or impaired patterns of thought and behavior that usually cause difficulties in forming and maintaining interpersonal relationships and in meeting the daily demands of one's personal and work life, and that typically become apparent during adolescence or early adulthood, end quote. So let's look at the first um, trait here of personality disorders we have, inflexible patterns of thought. Uh, psychologytoday.com has a great article called Cognitive Rigidity, the Eight Ball from Hell. This was from August 2016 by Dr. James Coplin. The definition, as quoted in the text of um, cognitive rigidity, is, quote, difficulty changing mental sets, end quote. Now, changing mental sets, uh, Dr. Copeland states, quote, means switching from thinking about things one way to thinking about them a different way, end quote. If you have cognitive rigidity or inflexible patterns of thinking, then changing how you think about things will be near impossible. So while the article ties this to autism, it is a great example of inflexible patterns of thinking that we see in personality disorders. So let's move on to inflexible patterns of behavior. Another article on psychologytoday.com by Dr. David M. Allen. This is from February 2016 called Inflexible Behavior in Personality Disorders. Now, speaking about people with personality disorders, Dr. Allen states, quote, they act as if they absolutely must act a certain way all the time, even when external circumstances would seem to require something entirely different, end quote. If you have ever encountered someone with a personality disorder, 
you know that their behavioral responses to certain stimuli are not always parallel or appropriate. So for example, if a friend lost a close family member and they're in tears, they're trying to express that grief, and the person with the personality disorder comes over, may smile or even laugh while hugging them and say, it happens to everyone. I think all of us would agree that's that's a pretty inappropriate and unparalleled response to that person's loss, to that person's grief. So now we're going to move on from the idea of being inflexible with thoughts and behaviors to impaired patterns of thoughts and behaviors. Uh, the definition of impaired from dictionary.cambridge.org is, quote, damaged in a way that makes something less effective, unquote. So consider the repetitiveness required to create a new habit or break an old one. The longer the habit has existed, the harder it usually is to break. When we think about personality disorders and the nature of impairment, we can see that the repetitive patterns of inflexibility in thought and behavior will over time create an impairment in thought and behavior. It's damage that creates ineffective thoughts and behaviors. Okay, so a good example here. A child who has learned to manipulate and lie to gain attention from the parents may grow up to continue the maladaptive behavior as a young adult. Without insight and help, the now grown adult may still lie and manipulate to earn attention from others. The childhood behaviors have moved from inflexibility to impairment as he or she is not as effective as an adult as they would have been if they'd gotten the help and had the insight early on. So types of personality disorders. So the APA, American Psychiatric Association, has what we call the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. This information that I'm about to give you is from the fifth edition text revision that was released in February of 2022. Now, on page 733 of my copy is where we find the section titled Personality Disorders. It's defined on that same page as, quote, an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the norms and expectations of the individual's culture, is pervasive and inflexible, has an onset in adolescence or early adulthood, is stable over time, and leads to distress or impairment, unquote. Now, this section is broken up into three clusters. We have cluster A, cluster B, and cluster C. Cluster A covers paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypal um, personality disorders. Those are described as, quote, odd or eccentric, unquote. That's on page 734. Again, that's my copy. Um, Cluster B covers probably the most well-known personality disorders, antisocial, borderline, histrionic, and narcissistic personality disorders, which are described, again, on page 734 as, quote, often appear dramatic, emotional, or erratic, unquote. And cluster C covers avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. Page 734, described as, quote, individuals with these disorders often appear anxious or fearful, unquote. Now, again, Again, please, please do not self-diagnose and do not diagnose anybody else. Go see a mental health professional because at some point in our lives, all of us have been seen as odd or eccentric. We might have appeared dramatic, emotional, or erratic. 
And there might be times where we are anxious or fearful. It does not mean you have a personality disorder. There is a lot more to personality disorders than just this really basic general thing here. And even if you go and look up the the symptoms that the APA lines out in what we call the DSM, the Diagnostic um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, okay, DSM, you really need that graduate level education to fully understand how to apply the symptoms to an individual. So, and even in the book, uh, the DSM, the manual encourages people who read it to be careful as the cluster system, quote, has serious limitations and has not been consistently validated, end quote. In other words, remember that everything in mental health exists on a spectrum and symptoms and disorders can coexist. For example, someone may have two symptoms from a cluster A disorder, but three symptoms from a cluster C disorder. That may not fulfill all those, either of those disorders. Another individual may exhibit two different personality disorder symptoms in full. Basically, mental health professionals are encouraged to keep up with the latest research and use, use the APA's um, manual responsibly and ethically. Again, another good reason someone who is not a trained and licensed mental health professional should not attempt to diagnose other people or themselves. It's also worth mentioning that just because you feel someone has inflexible thinking does not mean they have a personality disorder, let alone any other mental health condition. There is a myriad of information needed to make a diagnosis, not just how someone feels. So really want to put that out there. No self-diagnosing. No, no, no. Uh, so last word on personality types here. Some people might listen to this podcast and think, God, it'd be so much easier if we were all similar or close to the same. Then there would be less fighting, less conflict, and more agreeance on things. That may be true, but we would also be losing out on the unique features of imagination and creativity that have helped to shape art the written word, and even science, differences are beautiful. And that is what we should celebrate and get to know as it also enhances our own thinking. It challenges our own beliefs and opens our eyes to the plethora of culture and ideas we have all around us. Celebrating differences does not demand you change who you are, how you feel about things or what you think. It just means you care for the person for who they are. And that is a beautiful kind of love. Thank you so much for listening. Please help the channel out with a quick rate, share, and review. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact me at furtheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. That's furtheloveoftherapy at gmail.com. Remember, a podcast is never a substitute for therapy with a mental health professional. I am Carissa Galloway. This has been Qualified Issues, and I hope you'll join me next time.